0: We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and world team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age.
1: well welcome back this is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon and we are continuing our series on evolution and we're doing a book review of evolution's Achilles heels so how are you today Bob
2: I'm good you know my allergies are still bugging me but I'm gonna tough it out Hampton what do you think
1: I'll just have to cut out all your sniffles and your
2: coughs (laughs) Okay, and uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about this. In fact, really excited about the evolution stuff because it's such a dominant paradigm in our culture, and it's so wrong. And I don't like making just grand statements like that, like "Oh, it's so wrong," and then moving on. I want to tear down the argument, just like Paul says in Second Corinthians so that people can really sink their teeth into what's going on here. Maybe I could give an illustration. Hampton, what do you think? Okay. So years ago, Kathy and I went to, I believe it was a fundraiser and it was in Beaver Creek. And uh, it was at a nice like steakhouse. I forget the name of it, but it was nice. So we go up there and they had, you know, as you mill around before the evening really begins, they had a magician working the crowd. Have you ever been up close with a really good magician? No. Oh, it's, it is incredibly entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's really powerful. So I've, I forget the guy's name, but he he comes over and did a couple little little tricks, and then. He, you know, unbeknownst, he, he does this big one. And this is what he did. So, of course, he has a deck of cards. <laughs> and, you know, he tells Kathy, you know, pick a card. So she picks a card and he says, you know, can you sign it? And hands her a Sharpie. And so she writes her name on the card and, you know, puts it back in the deck Guy shuffles a deck around and then he, you know, proudly says, you know, is this your card? And he pulls one out and it's not her card. And he looks really embarrassed. He goes, oh my gosh. And then, so he does it again, shuffles a deck, pulls out a card. And he says, is this your card? And it's not. And now he's just flabbergasted. So one more time and he, he misses again and I'm sort of getting embarrassed for him. <laughs> you know? And he goes, I, I just, I can't explain this. I feel so bad. You know, I feel like I've ruined your whole evening. And he goes, uh, here, can you take this? And it opens up his coat. You know, he has like a tuxedo on
1: Yeah,
2: and he, he opens up his coat. And inside the tuxedo's pocket, you know, his vest pocket, and it's zipped, <laughs> and he and he unzips the pocket, and there's an envelope in there, sealed, and he goes, "Can can you please just take this? You know, I feel so bad." And uh, she takes it, and he says, "Well, can you open it, please?" She opens it, and it's her card inside that envelope. Field envelope, a zippered pocket. Yes, with her signature on the card. And man, I instantly like, got the chills. You know, like, I don't want to be around you. You know, like, <laughs> like that's, that's demonic. You know, that's almost supernatural power. I have no idea how he did that. But he, he, here's the point of the illustration for our purposes this morning. It's a trick, right? And if someone says to me, you know, a a, a trusted advisor says to me, Bob, Bob, that was a trick. That's not a, a supernatural power. I I would believe him, right? Right. I, I would go, yeah, okay. But what if my trusted advisor went through the entire trick? And showed step by step how that magician did that. That would be much more beneficial to me. Right. I w- I would still believe them either way, but in the second instance, I would know how that happened. So I it, the point of the illustration is I can tell people evolution's wrong. We did not evolve, but it's much more powerful if we take it apart. Step by step, right, and show along the way. Here's where they're wrong. So that's why I want to do this, because you know I really want to follow Paul's um, encouragement in Second Corinthians. Let me let me just read it because it's such a a good passage. It's common, you know. We've we've read this before, and people are familiar with it. But I want us to be re-impressed with it. So this is Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. I'm reading from the Net Bible, Hampton. Well, you should be. And I'm so <laughs> proud of this because every time I open this Bible, you know, there's a the first little page, you know, of books, you know, it's blank, and I mine is not blank. My first little page is signed by a guy named Hampton Keithley. <laughs> So I thank you so much for this Bible. So here's 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse one. Now I, Paul, appeal to you personally by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am meek when present among you, but am full of courage toward you when away. Now I ask that when I'm present, I may not have to be bold with the confidence that I expect I will dare to use against some who consider us to be behaving according to human standards. For though we live as human beings, we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that's raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. That's a powerful passage. So the way I perceive evolution is as a stronghold. Right? It's the world putting up barriers to faith. And because it comes from the world of science, it has a lot of power. It's it's maybe Hampton. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But the most powerful paradigm in our culture. Well I agree. Yeah, I okay. I agree too. Whether you're a
1: capitalist or a socialist or anything. (laughs) Democrat or Republican. yeah, Yeah, correct. I mean it's it's foundational because they don't people don't want to have a god to be responsible to so this gives them an option they think
2: i think i do think that's the case and so as we go through um the case against evolution step by step i think listeners will be amazed at just how wrong it is at every critical point it's dead wrong so Let's take our time and work through it. What do you say? Okay. How do you want to start this chapter?
1: Well, you said you highlighted half the chapter. I don't <laughs> want to read half the chapter. So. <laughs> Where did yeah. you first start highlighting? What, what
2: first, sen- first sentence. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this, the, this chapter is written by Dr. Dar- Donald Batten. He's a doctor of plant physiology from the University of Sydney. So here's his opening. uh, Well, his opening little paragraph is a one sentence paragraph. And then I guess the next couple sentences are critical. So I'll, I'll read his first paragraph just to lay some groundwork. The full title of Charles Darwin's 1859 book express the concept of natural selection. And that's the title of this chapter, right? Natural selection. On the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. That's That was the title of Darwin's original book right. in 1859. <clears throat> so nature... In quotations, preserved individuals that were best suited to the environment. Natural selection is really a very straightforward, common sense idea, <laughs> isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's it uh, no question that that's an accurate observation. So he goes on to say, creatures with features. I love that rhyme Mm -hmm. suited to survival in a given environment tend to survive better than those that do not have those features. Okay. Perfect. But here's the problem. As we go through this chapter, evolutionists will assume that natural selection equals evolution. Right. And it doesn't. We all can see, you know, the common sense observation. Yeah, if if you're more fit for your environment, you get a better chance to survive it and hence reproduce. So over time, organisms start to look really fit for their environment. That's not evolution. That's you know, at best, that's adaptation. Right. Do do species adapt? No question, no question at all. But let's work through this chapter and see where the where the fault lies. So, do you have anything you want to jump in on yet, or should I go Not to yet. my next? Okay. So, on page sixteen, Hampton, down at the end of that page natural selection was the only mechanism Darwin proposed in the origin of species to explain the origin of all the diverse life forms on earth. So let's pause there for a second. So natural selection, right? That idea that the more fit an organism is for its environment, um, It is selected to, in a sense, like blindly, right? But selected to reproduce more because it's more fit. And so Darwin didn't know how that happened, but you could almost see it before your eyes. It's a good observation. In other words, Darwin doesn't know anything about genetic mutation.
1: No, well, that was part of the Behe book. Correct. The black box, Darwin thought that the cells were just a glob of goo or something.
2: Correct. So you could see how species would adapt. And and that's all he's saying. Um, But he doesn't know the mechanism for that. But he's using that observation to explain the origin of species. Right. Like how, how we got here. Let's keep in mind for our listeners, we've we've said this on a previous podcast, evolution's not biology. Evolution is a theory of origins. It's trying to explain how we got here. Because the fundamental assumption is there is no God. Right. So which which proverb says the fool has said there is no god but that's the fundamental assumption and so evolution is used to explain how we got here not not that there was already a bunch of stuff and then it adapted it's trying to explain how human beings came to be on earth from ultimately right from single-celled organisms yeah
1: Well, I had highlighted, actually, the second half of that paragraph in the next one.
2: Okay, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Read it.
1: It said he had no knowledge of genetics and mutations or their molecular basis in DNA. He proposed that small variations were always occurring and that those that favored survival would be preserved, thus propelling an organism toward an entirely different organism, given enough time. Evidence for natural selection is commonly held as proving evolution, since organisms are often able to adapt to changes in their environment via natural selection. There is no shortage of stories of natural selection. And so we are continually bombarded with the message that evolution is happening all the time. But is this really evolution?
2: Okay, okay. so, you know, I had that underlined as well. And the way I underline, you know, instead of like literally underline, I'd, I'd rather mark a vertical thing on the side mm-hmm. of what I'm interested in. So if I have like one mark, yeah, that's important. I should look at that. If I have two marks, that's really important. If I have three marks, it's critical. I have four marks on that section you just read. Okay. Evidence for natural selection is commonly held up as proving evolution. It doesn't. All it does is a very common sense idea that, yeah, you're better adapted if you're more fit. You know, those animals will tend to survive and reproduce that are more fit for their environment. It doesn't change an organism at all. Makes it more fit. That's all, but it can't describe origins right. of stuff. So <clears throat> next next paragraph: special versus general theories of evolution. That's important because the terms get bandied about, uh, and we lose track of what they're supposed to be saying. So special evolution versus general evolution. Let me read this little paragraph. What is evolution? Is it change over time or the common ancestry of all species? <coughs> While trying to combine these two ideas, see how those are separate. Mm-hmm. Is, is evolution change over time or is it the common origin of all species? And the, the way evolution is presented as a paradigm is it's meant to explain the origin of all species, not change over time. So while trying to combine these two ideas, Darwin's theory entailed the formation of new species that's called speciation. Although he didn't really explain how new species formed and how it happens is still somewhat controversial. I discussed the definition of the word species later For now, we just have to understand that speciation simply involves the origin of, for example, a variety of rabbit that no longer breeds with its ancestor rabbits. This is quite different from seeing a new species as a step in turning microbes into mankind. (laughs) So, in other words, there are extreme forms of adaptation where it can actually produce what we might call, though it's just a label. It's not really a technical definition, but adaptation can perform to the extent that you could get a new species. But it would be really, really closely related to what it came from. His illustration here is a different kind of rabbit, but it's still a rabbit. But the point of speciase speciation is it might be a rabbit to such an adaptation that it may not be able to reproduce with its ancestors and that can be the case but it's still a rabbit okay (laughs) it hasn't changed into anything so special versus general general's the broad thing concerning origins Special is much more precise in producing particular species. Yeah. So at the bottom of that page, he goes on to say, it's a
0: huge
2: leap to go from looking at variations in an existing feature, such as a shorter, thinner, longer, fatter beak. (laughs) To explaining the origin of beaks. That's an unbelievable leap. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Finches, birds, reptiles, mammals, and everything else. So to explain origins, evolution doesn't have the power to do that. It's never been observed to do that. That's, that's not an overstatement on my part. It's never been observed to do that. So like, for instance, with the famous finches, you know, the beaks on finches. Oh, look how they change. Those beaks change over time. Well, they get longer, they get shorter, they get fatter, they get thicker. They never change from being a beak into something else. It's just a, it's just a, (laughs) correct. So how does looking at the variation in dogs explain the origin of dogs? Here's the next paragraph. Indeed, the evolutionist Professor G.A. Kerkut, a well-known British authority on invertebrates, distinguished the special theory of evolution, speciation, from the general theory of evolution, the common ancestry of all living things. So here's his quote, Kerkut. This theory can be called the general theory of evolution, and the evidence that supports it is not sufficiently strong to allow us to consider it as anything more than a working hypothesis. It's not clear whether the changes that bring about speciation are of the same nature as those that brought about the development of new phyla. Those are major divisions of living things of which there are about 80, including microbes, the answer will be found in future experimental work and not by the dogmatic assertions that the general theory of evolution must be correct because there's nothing else that will satisfactorily take its place. Yeah, once you remove God from the equation, yeah, yeah then there is no explanation. Other At least bandied about, other than evolution but that's all premised on the assumption there is no god right well he
1: uses gte throughout the rest of this book and so yep. this is T- where he defines that as general the general theory of evolution
2: correct as opposed to what's the other abbreviation
1: ste yeah speciation or special correct now I hear sometimes people use terms micro and macro evolution. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that those. Another way of, of calling it instead of STE and GTE, correct?
2: Yes, correct. So micro evolution would be what we're calling adaptation. Yeah. And and that can be pushed biologically successfully to even include speciation. But the thing's still, you know, a rabbit's still a rabbit, for instance. Right. So that's micro. Macro evolution would be that idea of origins.
1: Well, this is where it's a a logical fallacy. I don't know if it's a category error or equivocation, but, you know, they they take, they call sun, they call one thing evolution when it's not. And then say, since we see this here, then this other is true
2: correct yeah it's you know on the street we'd call it bait and switch <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, let me read this next paragraph nowadays we understand why simple changes in species that's STE, cannot be extrapolated to the origin of the diversity of all living things that's gte now think of that Nowadays, we understand why that cannot be. So the type of observable variation evolutionists like to dub as evolution is due to rearrangement of existing genetic information. Alleles, for instance, or accidental and almost are accidental, almost always degenerative. Changes in that existing information. We'll come back to that in a second. Yeah, I think that degenerative part is important. Yeah, we're going to come back to that. However, microbes to mankind evolution requires the formation of new complex information laden suites of genes containing the instructions for making, for example, muscle cells, bone, nerves feathers on reptiles etc where none existed before darwin had no idea what would be involved in bringing about such major changes and modern biology has revealed a sheer complexity that stands against belief in simple changes accumulating over time maybe maybe another illustration to explain that it particularly what what you pointed out earlier say I'm imagining this but at like Ford Motor Company they probably have a construction manual for how to build one of their cars so if you're going to build a Ford Mustang they probably have a manual on how to go about doing that and I imagine that manual's thousands of pages long Right. If you went into that manual and took out some of the pages, smudged some of the pages, doubled some of the pages, etc., do you think that Ford Mustang would come out in better shape or worse shape?
1: (laughs) I think uh, I certainly have a few nuts and bolts left over.
2: So, in other words, um, when you imagine what we call our genes, our genetic material, our DNA, that's unbelievably complex information. Like a Ford Mustang would be nothing compared to a human being in complexity. It Not even close. It would be, I don't know what the order of magnitude difference would be. So, if you go into that genetic information Mm -hmm. and mess with it that chances of you improving the final product are almost nil right correct there there can be some advantages to very minor changes which we'll point out in this chapter but you're not going to create a better ford mustang you're not going to create a better human being You cannot create a human being from a microbe that way. So I remember going to a conference years ago and um, these guys were from Cornell. These biologists made a computer program and they were going over uh, what what really happens because of mutation. So mutation in any species does happen. And it happens quite often, right? This author will make that point later on in this chapter. Um, But mutations are 90 plus percent. And I think that's like high 90s, but I forget the exact percentage. Harmful. They're not helpful. They don't create better organisms. Everybody knows this in their gut. For instance, when a pregnant mother gets amniocentesis done and the docs are checking, you know, the genetic makeup of your child that's growing in your womb, is there a single mother that would happy be happy about a doctor saying, you know, We found a mutation here. I mean, we instantly you're crushed, right? Instantly, you're you know that you intuitively know that's not good.
1: You're not thinking maybe this child will be able to fly.
2: (laughs) No, (laughs) you're going, Oh my God, you know, is it going to be downs? Is it going to be, you know, something else that's common? You're just crushed. Like Michael Jordan is not a mutant. There's nothing wrong with his DNA. See what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So mutations do not create better things. They happen all the time. Fortunately, a lot of them, you know, don't make much difference. But they do happen. Species do adapt. But you can't create anything new. You can only break or eliminate what's already there, but you can't create something new like you like you said just off the top of your head, right you can't create wings when there aren't wings there, yeah, so that was a critical paragraph. Anything else you want to point out well oh, i
1: I had highlighted i've gone I've gotten lost now in my Kindle book. Um, The next thing it talks about is a guy named Roger Lewin. Mm -hmm. Who wrote in the science journal.
2: Yeah. I want to back up though, before we get to Lewin, can you hold that and we'll get, get to him next, but I I wanted to make this important point then. So remember how last time when we were um, working through Behe, and we gave an illustration of what these guys are saying at conferences Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they think no one but them is listening, <laughs> right? right, they're they're much more honest. Here's another example of that. So let me just read the paragraph that sets it up. And, and you're talking about Lewin. Okay, I'm sorry I interrupted there, but it, it is Lewin that he's referring to. So I'm going to read his quote from that conference, okay? So in November 1980, some of the world's leading evolutionary biologists held a conference. Billed as historic at the Chicago Field Museum of Natural History, reporting on the conference in the journal Science, Roger Lewin wrote, the central question of the Chicago conference was whether the mechanisms underlying microevolution can be extrapolated to explain the phenomena of macro evolution. At the risk of doing violence to the positions of some of the people at the meeting, the answer can be given as a clear no. Yeah, That stood
1: out to me because I recognized Roger Lewin as an actual guy who believes in evolution.
2: Correct. And he's just flat out saying, printed in a prominent Publication, the journal science, the answer is no. <laughs> Microevolution cannot produce macroevolution.
1: It was kind of interesting the way you said that at the risk of doing violence to the positions of some of the people at the meeting. Yeah. Their position so, was it's evolution's true. Correct. But they don't believe it, I guess. I don't know what he means when he
2: says but that's that's what he means. Yeah. That they're still evolutionists. See, one one would assume, well, then you're not an evolutionist. And he's and his point is no, no, they're all evolutionists, but they know what's wrong. That's his point. Okay. And you know, that's backed up. I no longer have these books at my fingertips. They were very expensive back in the day. So maybe 1985 or so, um, don't hold me to that, but that's ballpark. This, the case of um, you know evolution versus creation was argued before the Supreme Court. And I, I remember the attorney, his last name was Bird, BIRD. And I got his couple volumes of the entirety of that argument. This is what he had to do in his publication. Every scientist that he quoted, he had to put an asterisk by their name. The point was, the the reason he had to do that was because their statements proved evolution was wrong. But they had to um, make him do that because they wanted it known they were evolutionists. <laughs> if you didn't put an asterisk there, you would assume the guy was a creationist.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? So he right. had he had to remind everybody now, now this guy believes in evolution, even though he's gonna say the following. In every page, you know, there were 10 or 20 asterisks on every page. But this is really interesting books but they were very expensive, like 80 bucks or something back in 1985 for one of them. Um, Anyway, but there's a follow-up to that paragraph. Francisco Ayala, then associate professor of genetics, the University of California was quoted as saying that he now was convinced that small changes do not accumulate.
1: I think that's a huge statement there. Yeah. Because that's the whole basis for evolution is that the small changes accumulate. Yeah, they
2: add up, that they add up to massive change over time. And he says they don't. So that's the next. Try to
1: grow a leg or four legs (laughs) so you go on the, the land. What if you just get one leg? The <laughs> assumption is you're going to grow another one later, <laughs> so you don't go in circles when you push with you know. And yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just foolish.
2: It it is. So his next little paragraph, nevertheless, many evolutionists today persist in the apparent ignorance of this. That is, they continually promote the idea that big change equals small change times millions of years. And here's what you pointed out earlier. This is a logical fallacy known as equivocation or bait and switch. (laughs) It's akin to saying because a cow can jump over a fence, it's only a matter of time and practice for it to jump over the moon. I would say that's, it's not. That's
1: why some people don't want to use the term microevolution, mm-hmm. because then it's easy to make that leap.
2: Yeah, yeah. So then the next section—I don't know how deeply I might skip through this—is sort of an important one. But the title of his next section is "Natural." One sentence. I just he says.
1: Saying things like evolution means change. Here is an example of change. Therefore, evolution is a fact.
2: Yeah. That's a common argument. I've heard that. Yeah, very common. And again, to say what we've been saying, what they will point out is adaptation. And say that adaptation multiplied by millions of years or billions equals evolution. And it doesn't.
1: Right.
2: So natural selection is not evolution. That's his next section. So this whole chapter is called natural selection. Clearly, natural selection happens. It is not evolution. It's adaptation. I don't have anything
1: highlighted until the paragraph, can Dawkins and company really be ignorant?
2: Okay, good, because that's what I had. Go ahead and read that.
1: Can Dawkins and company really be ignorant of the fact that natural selection is not the same as evolution when such high-profile evolutionists, even one whom Dawkins cites when it suits his argument, have clearly pointed this out?
2: Yeah, so what what we skipped was that whole you know, his summary of those experiments in in which Dawkins is going to refer that that proves evolution. And the guy who did those experiments himself says it doesn't prove that, (laughs) right? Right. So they're so desperate for examples, you know, but then read the following uh, little paragraph.
1: Yeah, following Darwin's example, evolutionists, despite claims to the contrary, Still like to talk of natural selection as a creative force, but it cannot create anything. It can only eliminate the unfit, not create the fit. Natural selection is not the same as evolution. Survival of the fittest, elimination of the unfit, does not explain the arrival of the fit.
2: <laughs> Isn't that it? So that's a great way to like lock it into your brain. Survival Mm -hmm. of the fittest does not equal arrival of the fittest. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's a great way to say that, but it's hugely important. See, once again, I'm going to restate this, because when you're building these building blocks of uh, fundamental understanding of these paradigms, you got to keep repeating the building blocks. Adaptation does not create information. It can only, it only comes about by messing with the information that's already there. Kate,
1: okay. <clears throat> Yeah. Ken a saying? funny thing. He talks about dogs and how you just keep getting rid of information and get rid of information until you end up with a poodle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't like poodles, I guess, but yeah, well, that's right. You know, back to our Ford Motor Company illustration, you cannot add New pages. You can only smudge, eliminate, reword old pages. You can't add new pages, right? So, what's the next section? Because that that finishes out the, his little subsection. Natural. Well, he goes into a, have,
1: a lot of detail saying that Darwin didn't come up with the idea but stole it from other people. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Yeah. I don't know that that's um, that important. No, I don't think
2: it is. And, and I, you know, I don't like. I certainly understand fully what you're saying. I, I wouldn't call Darwin a thief. He, I mean, he may be. Not that you were. I'm. Just, your point is just that that was an idea. But there yeah, a lot of were
1: several other people writing at the same time. Yes, and yeah. he was in the same town in science um, clubs, if you will. Correct, and so he would have been listening to them talk.
2: Correct. Correct. So yeah, we don't need to go over those other guys from a couple hundred years ago. So, um, then his next section is natural selection is not a refutation of creation. Not that I had anything to read there, but that's a good point. Um, so let me back up from it. Let me read it one more time and then back up from it and give some perspective. Natural selection is not a refutation of creation. You know, the fact that we see it happening
0: mm-hmm.
2: fits perfectly in my worldview. My, my biblical worldview doesn't eliminate that. That's fine. Right. What I was going to back up and say is I have really made this a sincere endeavor since I came to faith as a 21 year old and like around 1981, I've never found anything that contradicted the Christian worldview in any of my studies, in any subject. Yeah, never. I've never found that. And I'm completely open to it. If someone has that, bring it to me. I want to know. I've just never seen it. So.
1: His next section. I, I thought it was interesting that the idea of species. changing, yeah. Kind yeah. of, you know. I guess it said one Bible. I was interested in this one Bible translation actually used the word species. And so that caused a little bit of confusion Mm -hmm. instead of genus. Yeah. And then I guess another Bible did translate it with genus.
2: Well, let's read his, you know, a paragraph, a key paragraph for me in his next section because his next section is, is titled what is a species? Okay, so this is good material.
0: <clears throat> uh,
2: in the middle, of page twenty-eight. I'm not sure where that would be in your Kindle, but there's a par- okay. There's a paragraph that says in Genesis 1.11, the Bible speaks of God creating plants, and then he's now he's going to quote the Bible. God said, "Let the land produce vegetation." Plants yielding seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, it was so. Then he goes on to say the formula according to their kinds or after their kinds is used repeatedly 10 times in reference to the creation of different types of living things. Genesis chapter 1. This aligns with a fundamental biological principle that everyone sees repeatedly and understands from childhood. Organisms reproduce true to their kind. Dogs produce dogs. Cats produce cats. Mango trees produce mango trees, etc. No one has ever observed Otherwise, that's a strong statement, and it's 100% true, sure it's not an overstatement, yeah. Right? Yeah. A, cat, a cat has never given birth to an eagle,
0: <laughs> okay?
2: Right, right. Well, I
1: kind of, we skipped over this one thing, but I thought it was interesting, uh, that the fossil record they find you know, a fossil that looks like a shrimp looks like today and they date it millions of years old and then they name it a different species. Mm-hmm. And even if it's the same thing found on a different continent, then he says they would give it a different species name.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, exactly. very important. Just so you're yes, it's critical. Here's a heads up about the fossil record we're going to dive into there's a whole chapter, on the fossil record. So we'll get there. But here's a heads up on that. You know, when you open your ninth grade biology textbook or even your freshman year biology textbook in college and you see like the evolutionary tree, they drew that tree. <laughs> That's not what the fossil record looks like yeah, at all. They drew that and then assumed that was true, but they put that together. The fossils don't appear that way in the earth, right? They, they don't appear as, you know, descended from one another mm-hmm. at all. So <clears throat> let's finish out this paragraph when he says no one has ever observed otherwise, but evolution entails the belief that Time and time again, one basic type of organism has changed into something radically different, such as worms changed over time into humans, as one prominent evolutionist characterized it in the new scientist. Speciation, that is changes within the created kinds, is assumed to be proof of larger idea of GTE, right? The origins. Mm -hmm. And yet, as pointed out above, speciation is a well-accepted part of the creationist model. (laughs) So, then he... he uh,
1: That that, uh, ties into Noah's Ark in a big way. No, a big way. Because he didn't need to take uh, several hundred pairs of dogs. He just needed two... You know. Yeah. Right.
2: So <clears throat> further on in this, you know, a few paragraphs further, Marsh, he he went into detail a scientist named Marsh, Dr. Frank Marsh. Uh, so we're gonna pick it up there. Marsh coined the term baramin. That's a really good term. Mm-hmm. I'm glad glad he made that up for a created <laughs> Kind. from the Hebrew bara, which means create, create and min, which means kind. So Marsh biologists coined the term min, like a created kind and defined criteria for discerning the descendants of the created kinds. Baraminology is the systematic study. Of the created kinds, and so on. That's a good, really helpful, mm-hmm. uh, but be, be, right because it, you know, as they study in that direction more and more, you can begin to see, you know, the faint outlines become darker and clearer. As you can begin to see how these certain categories of animals came from certain kinds, right? They can see that. That's exactly what the Bible says. You know, there's a strange way in which, at least my biblical view of it is you can see God creating the original kinds, and then they get more and more specific down through their generations to fit better and better into certain niches. You know, I could see that happening. Not that God created all life by evolution at all. He's the creator. He created them. But you can see adaptation happening. You could almost see that as being part of God's plan. But with that, you can't go in reverse, you can only go forward. You know, once you've broken your genetic material to enable you to fit more closely into a certain niche, you can't back up. You can't back out of that niche. Right. And, and that's why animals go extinct. I lost that thought earlier. I was going to talk about that when I was at that conference and these professors from Cornell were talking about, yeah, there's mutation and it helps an animal you know, eventually fit into a certain niche, but then it gets stuck in that niche. And quite often they go extinct because of that. So, Interesting. yeah, it is. And so his point was, you know, when you'll see a general article in a newspaper, you never want to get your science from popular sources, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or your theology, by the way. Get your theology from the biblical text. Don't get it from other sources. And again, get your science from hardcore laboratory science, not newspapers and period. I had cut out, this was nineties, some
1: Dallas morning news article where the, it was, it was about evolution, but you know, the guy just stated it was so much fact that it was, you know, that it was proven and all that. And, yeah
2: it's not even it's 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 not proven it's proven false (laughs) but anyway what what i was gonna say is so um you'll you'll read in a newspaper article you know oh over the last 10 years so many species have gone extinct and they'll attribute that to climate change you know what caused them to go to extinct mutation right and that's what these Biology professors w- from Cornell were presenting at the conference, and it was persuasive. Here was their main takeaway from it. They couldn't get published.
1: <laughs> with, the, right. with that kind of a news?
2: Yeah, with that argument, because... Yeah. It's proving evolution, evolution destroys organisms. It doesn't create new ones.
1: Well, I don't know if he gets into that in this book, because I haven't read the whole book, but I heard recently that there was some scientist involved in the whole DNA gene thing. And then his study of DNA and mutation rates, he came to the conclusion that humans couldn't be more than I don't know, six or 8,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when he came to that conclusion, he quit his job because he was an evolutionist and he had just proven creation. Yeah. And, and I think he eventually became a Christian, wrote a book and I can't remember the guy's name.
2: Well, good for him. You know, he, <laughs> but he had, he had sincerity, right? Yeah. He was going to yeah. follow the evidence. Right. And the evidence led him to creation as opposed to evolution. Any sincere that, that, that guy whole thing that we're talking
1: happened. about is the, the, you know, the loss of information, the degeneration of our DNA Yes, yes. mutations are almost always bad, except for yeah. in the X-Men movies.
2: <laughs>
1: <clears throat> yeah. I think he yeah. says that somewhere in this book. He talks about that. You don't end up with X-Men.
2: <laughs> well, let's talk. Let's play out our. Uh, silly little illustration a little further back to the Ford Motor Company. Uh Say say you weren't messing with the pages of the instruction manual. Say you were one step removed from that and you just walked out to the Ford Mustang on the parking lot and you opened up the hood and you took a sledgehammer and struck the engine as hard as you could. You think it's going to make it better? I don't think so. (laughs) Everybody intuitively knows that, right? That would literally be a mutation. That's not going to help that car. Right. So next section. Do we have time for one more section, Hampton? How we go
1: into natural selection does not produce new information. Is that where you're uh, at?
2: No. Not that I was No, I was headed towards, uh, I was just going to mention the next section for me was the rise of new species is not a problem for creation. I was right. just going to state that. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then move on to the next section. The process of speciation does not support evolution. So the main I'll, I'll read the last paragraph of that section and I'll, I'll just explain what he talked about for a couple pages. Yeah, I had that so, highlighted. That's where I was. Okay. okay. So there's all these experiments in biology. They're fascinating. I, I mean, I love the field of biology. You're studying God's handiwork. So he goes through all these uh, observations on the different kicklids in the world, right? Those small fish mm-hmm. that, that vary in color so much. And there's just been, oh gosh, tons of material written about that stuff. <clears throat> but they're not evolving. They're still kicklids. They're just different color kicklids and so on. So the final paragraph of that section, no one has ever observed speciation that involves the addition of a new biochemical pathway, nor has anyone developed a workable model for such changes speciation entails the rearrangement and or loss of existing genetic information from populations speciation gives no support to the general theory of evolution so that's just the point we've been making yeah yeah anything to add there on the key well there was
1: one pet thing that caught my eye in that parrot that section he goes he's talking about the guppies and how they changed Uh in like four years Uh Uh, because the rate of change and this is a quote the rate of change a rate of change some 10,000 to 10 million times faster than the average rate determined from the fossil record I got I thought what kind of a statistic is that 10,000 to 10 million I mean that's pretty broad I think you know who came up with those numbers so, yeah no uh 10, yeah. people or 10 million people died from the flu that's a big difference
2: correct but it, and his point you know within the larger context of that was that speciation can happen within a few generations yeah
1: within four years yeah yeah and there was one to comment i don't remember where but he talked about the guy that worked with uh what was it? Bacteria. He was growing for 20 years and he had 40, 400,000 generations. Mm-hmm. This one, he goes, the guy gets a, a, a medal
2: for persistence or perseverance. Yeah.
1: Perseverance. I caught, yeah. He's be been spending 20 years growing this mold yeah. or whatever.
2: Yeah. Of a bacteria, a single celled organism. Yeah. No change, No change over all those generations. Right, it hadn't it, no, it hadn't changed into something else.
1: Does he talk about junk DNA in here?
2: He mentions that, but they, of course, they found it out was it's the, not the junk. The reason
1: they came up with junk DNA and threw away ninety-eight percent of the DNA it was because the amount of change, there was no way you could have all that. Yeah. the necessity of the all changing was too great the odds you needed quadrillions of
2: years or something like that. Right. So um, the next section, we're, I'm just going to explain instead of read, it's critical, but we did, I might read some of it, but we covered the essence of what this is saying with Behe. Mm-hmm. The title of this next section is natural selection does not produce new information. Okay. Okay, so let me just say that slowly one more time. Natural selection does not produce new information. It can only work on existing old information. Can't create new information. So just recall, you know, our brief time through Behe, the um, complexity of what would have to be done is mind blowing. It's staggering, right. Just, right? To create just a new protein, one new protein, an enzyme that would regulate a new bio, biochemical pathway, which would have countless other factors, but just to create one new protein that would function properly in a biochemical pathway is staggering in its magnitude.
1: Well, I I like that first paragraph. Um, He says in in that section, natural selection can only operate on the genetic information that specifies the traits already present in a population. It cannot create that information. Most evolutionists, this is the sentence I wanted to get to. Most evolutionists understand this, but they do a poor job of communicating this to the public. I just thought the way he said that was very nice.
2: It's very nice. It sounds, like, sounds like
1: they don't mean to do a poor job.
2: Well, and you know what? But I understand where he's coming from because he, you almost want to, uh, I, I want people to know, at Hampton, I actually have a compassionate side.
1: <laughs> That's I, his compassionate side coming out
2: right there. Yeah, but it's the reason they do a poor job of presenting that to, they're not on purpose well, many of them are not. I think Dawkins is on purpose. Yes, he is. He is. But many of them it it's just reality for them. Evolution is their reality. So they they assume that it's true. So why would you talk about things that are proving it not to be true? right?'re they're not they're doing it by reflex. They're not necessarily doing it by deception, okay. with the exceptions of Dawkins and so on, um, and and we all have to be careful of that. Right. And he, here, here's one of the ways that that can affect you. <clears throat> They've done many studies on this, but most people um, intake, you know, uh, input data that already they they already know affirms their worldview, right? They, they don't want to be changing their worldview. (laughs) So you're just going to look at data that already affirms what you already believe. And that's very common. So I've just always endeavored to try to read everything I could. Let me, give me the naysayers, Mm -hmm. you know, let me see what they got. And uh, I have found, the biblical worldview to prevail in every every case I've tried. Not a, that's not an exaggeration. So that that's where they're coming from. That, that's why he's saying that they're doing a poor job of communicating this. Well, yeah, because it defeats their theory. So they you know they just tend not to talk about that. Yeah. So anyway, that's that section. Um, next section is, ooh, and I've got a four vertical line on one of these sentences in this next section, Hampton.
1: (laughs) Evolution should be seen in microbes, if
2: anywhere? No, the one right before that. Mutations are necessary for evolution. So bold point, 100% accurate. Mutations are necessary for evolution. That's true. And just keep this in mind he didn't say this but keep it in mind 90 plus percent of mutations are harmful and it's more, it's more than 90 it's like high 90s mm-hmm. they they're harmful i i mean how you could extrapolate from that you know i'm i'm going to write a great novel but 90 plus percent of my words are going to be damaged <laughs> <laughs> right Okay. Good luck. (laughs) Okay. But here's a a critical. He's setting up that, you know, the paradigm of a mutation can build a better thing only to destroy it. But so he's gone into that. Then he says, however, when studied at a molecular level, we always find that something was broken to produce these new traits rather than created. That's a point I made earlier, but that's critical. Mm -hmm. New information is never created. Old information can be broken. And that sounds sort of strange until you you think of something like, maybe the easiest way to say it at a a street level is that a lot of our uh, chemical pathways in fact, all of them are regulated by proteins and enzymes. They almost work in certain cases like switches. So, if, if you had an on switch that produced the blue color, right? This, this kick lid is blue, but that on switch got genetically mutated and now it's an off switch the thing became a different color. It didn't add a new switch. It broke the switch that was there. Right. That's critical to understand. You can adapt that way, but you can't create that way. And that's what we see in biology. We see adaptation everywhere but you don't see the creation of new kinds. So, and he goes through, you know, with all the fly experiments on Drosophila. That's a fun name for an organism. Here's a little trivia, Hampton, because this uh, podcast has been so heavy. Let's, Let's wrap it up with this, don't you think? And then we'll finish this chapter next time. Okay. So here's a fun illustration, No, just a fun little piece of data. My favorite I like the scientific names of these of certain organisms. Like the uh back to the X-Men, the Wolverine. The scientific name for the Wolverine is Gilo Gilo. <laughs> what? Gilo like G-U-L-L-O. G-U-L-L-O. Okay. The Gilo- gilo gilo <clears throat> so i used to with the swimmers you know i used to do on saturday mornings with the young kids we'd do the ocean olympics and i'd make each kid be a different ocean creature okay so of course we had the uh, orca we had the great white shark we had the tiger shark we had the uh, sea turtle <laughs> <laughs> leather we had the leather back and anyway we had fun you know everybody identifying with a certain but then I would make them memorize the scientific names of those animals like the great white carcarodon And, <laughs> and they they'd have to say it was fun but my favorite name for an animal is um I'll say the scientific name and then see if you can pinpoint what creature that would be smilodon fatalis
1: <laughs> smilodon would that be like a saber-toothed tiger or something
2: that's a saber-toothed tiger <laughs> the scientific isn't that a good one that's Smil- a good one
1: you can figure that one out just from the name
2: <laughs> smilodon
1: i had fatalis. to memorize a whole bunch of scientific names in the eighth grade and some of them stuck with me like Dasypus novum synctus
2: Oh my gosh, what's that one?
1: Armadillo has <laughs> nine rings, I guess on its shell. So Novum sanctus,
2: But you know they have an armadillo has a I think it's an armadillo has a really interesting biological quirk. They they only give birth to twins. Really? I think so. Oh, that's interesting. And and only in groups of four. So, like, two twins and two twins. They, they only give birth four at a time, and they're twins. I, I think that's the case. And yeah, it's thanks. fascinating. <laughs> All right, champ.
1: Well, thanks a bunch, and I guess we'll talk to you next time.
2: Thanks, Hampton. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect.